Welcome to Empirical Peapod. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. If you could please subscribe, follow, share, like, comment, whatever the hell happens when we do these things. I'm your host, Tim Day. Let's get to the show. Plus, whenever I do and like, all I hear is me breathing. <laughs> I'm like, is the camera in my mouth? <laughs> the camera? <laughs> I can see myself breathing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ugh. All right. So. So is this where the music's playing? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you've only listened to Katie's episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, that's done in post, as we say in the biz. Ooh. <laughs> uh, we're here with Dan Welsh down in the dungeon. This is where we play D&D. Sure is. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, you're going to talk to Welsh about D&D? Oh, <laughs> I figured you'd be sad about that, but I could steer the conversation that way if we need to. Ooh, a power struggle. <laughs> Just thought anyone can't think of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Let's see uh, what I'd like to talk about. Actually, it's 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 another one of those weird ones because we've all grown up together. So like, kind of rehashing all these stories of bringing us to this point. Sure, it, it's actually enjoyable and fun. But it's also tedious <laughs> because I lived through it, okay. especially like your story. Like I was there for I, most of it. I know this story. Yeah, right. Actually, when I, I did uh, when I recorded Kate Bamrick's episode, mm-hmm. I kept forgetting that I was hosting a show because I I never heard her story before. Ah. and I was so enthralled with what she was saying. I kept being like, "Oh yeah, yep. like, oh shit, I'm running the show." Yep. <laughs> lots of lots of dead air in that one. <laughs> Uh, let's start with after you're actually one of the originals. Original, as far as the Oswego group goes, like you're one of the kindergarten kids. I was. There's only like six of you. Oh, uh, here we go. I'm on the record. And I'm going to leave somebody out. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, they'll let you know. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, T and Yunk and Frola, Adam Co. And uh, see, there it is. Who is it? Who is it? Who's not my friend anymore? Wasn't Andy there? Andy. Yep. He was a big one to forget. Yeah. I saw him today. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't seen him since we were at JJ's. Ah, yes. I should hit him up. I'd love to have him on the show uh, and hear his story as well. Someday. But, uh, so, you guys all came up together, because you all lived in Boulder Hill. Boulder Hill. That's right. The hood. Yeah. Uh, were you guys all centralized, like to where you could? Do you just go to school together, or was it close enough where, like, yeah, so we there, went to each other's house? Yeah, even at that time, back in the you know, God, the eighties, there were two elementary schools in Boulder Hill. So really? to go to one school in one class, yeah, we were kind of on that side of town yeah. together for sure. It's crazy. Bike riding distance. Boulder Hill is literally built on a hill, hmm? and it was built there, from my understanding, is for Caterpillar. Because Caterpillar was a big deal. That makes sense. And they built Boulder Hill for the employees that uh, had to come and start running the ah, pant. Like a coal mine in town for the new generation. Yeah, actually, like way back when, mm-hmm. sure. Which is insane. Uh, now it's its own thing. Caterpillar's long gone and mm-hmm. fucked off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you say you guys could ride bikes to each other's houses? So oh yeah, we close. were we were little gangs terrorized <laughs> in the neighborhood for sure. That's still happening in Boulder Hill, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Climbing trees, sneaking out at night. Yeah. Probably not much sneaking out at night in elementary school. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you stay in Boulder Hill? Until I was 15. Did you then come straight to here? To to here, yeah. 
Yeah, so I did my freshman year of high school in Bo- from Boulder Hill, and then then here. Oh, so you just barely made it because you went to Thompson then. Mm-hmm. So you just barely because you would have gone to Trouble for sure if you moved earlier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because I'm always curious, because like Annie and I went to Trauber. That's weird. Because Annie lived in she Boulder can Hill. see Thompson from her house, like literally. Yeah. I like to think that they kicked her out or asked her not to come. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like yeah. she's got a mouth on her. Send her to Trauber. Maybe she'll tell that story on the podcast. She's been on it, and she didn't, because I didn't realize until after we recorded. Uh, but there's rumors of her and I doing our own show later. Uh-huh. So um, it's going to come up. I've got it written as a note somewhere so that I remember next time. Fuck yeah. So let's go ahead and fast forward. We all, uh, after high school, where did you go to college? Uh, North Central College. Stayed local. Smart. So that's in Naperville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What uh, What was your major? Uh, it was communications, speech communications. So it's a phony major. I learned nothing. Let's say just before we got on, we were talking about how you can't do words well anymore. Mm. <laughs> And then we find out that you're actually five minutes in the future. That's why. Yep. <laughs> I am uh, pissing my degree away, I'm afraid. But uh, Do you know anybody that's using their degree, though, really? Well, no, but, you know, <laughs> those people are successful and have moved on. Ah, uh, yes, yes, right. <laughs> no, and uh, I joke, but honestly, uh, I do feel like it was useful. Like, Because yeah. uh, I'm not a naturally, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to be the center of attention ever. Yeah. But... If you get me on stage or in front of a crowd, I feel at home, which is right. super weird. Being in the band for all those years, yeah. loved it. Never had a second of stage fright in yeah. my entire life. Uh, but when I get off stage right. and people come up to me to say, hey, nice show, I'm like, don't fucking talk to me. Yeah, that's. I feel that same way, actually, because like, I, in the band, I was like, we were bass players, so we were never the center of attention anyways, except that we played a very unique style that could be flashy. But usually it was our lead singer, plus we had Handsome Boys as our lead singer. <laughs> but it's the same thing, like, for sure, where it's like, I didn't feel centralized there. Like, even in normal life, like, I can be loud and obnoxious on my own terms. But when people are, like, giving me praise or thinking that I'm giving me that <laughs> center of attention thing, I'm like, <laughs> It's weird. Yep. No, I want to pop in with a, with a clever line, get yeah. a laugh, and get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds like a Welsh thing. <laughs> As you know, Welsh is a verb. It is. For many reasons, we'll get into it. Because <laughs> uh, I, I remember, too, when you were going to college, did you... Uh, we did a lot of stuff at the radio station, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that's where I went. I'll say, did you... Um, at 89.1. Mm-hmm. The Wonk. The Wonk. Yeah, did you uh, ever DJ there, or did you I never work DJ'd. around there? I did weather. Did you? Yeah. Weather and traffic's on the nines? uh yeah and uh yeah we had the computer and with the uh hookup to the what was it like the associated press or whatever the yeah. feeds that would come through and it was like yeah you go in a half hour early you flip through and you grab three news stories you think are interesting you write them up and you go on air for 30 seconds that's college credit baby yeah that's kind of awesome yeah uh, can you see yourself doing that like bigger than that or did it was it like i think i could now i definitely couldn't then yeah because i think now it, it's funny how like recursive and like living in the future and yeah trying to act in the past is, is <laughs> difficult um some would say impossible but i disagree anyway um it's all relative after having gone through four years of schooling and studying speech communication and doing you know debates and presentations and stuff and getting over that fear and realizing that i actually liked it mm-hmm. um 
I think I, if I had had that experience when I started as a freshman, I would have been Mr. DJ. I would have loved it. I would have hammed it up for sure. Yeah. But it, it took those four years of like study and and just doing it really to be like, oh yeah, I can, I can open my mouth with eyes on me. Like even now at work, I, I do that. I do presentations and group, yeah. lead group well, meetings so you and stuff like that. You have to run pretty big things, and you're kind of and you're the point guy yeah and it's and it's no problem i sit there and i, I crack jokes and i smile and i yeah. finger guns at the camera and <laughs> and then as soon as i shut the meeting down i'm like oh god <laughs> they all hate me yeah we all do that every time <laughs> yep. we hang out with you too <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome because i remember mm-hmm. i i remember back then i didn't drink and I, I mean i don't drink now there was that little small window but mm-hmm. back then i really didn't drink at all and i remember being in the booth Mm-hmm. There was some girl that worked there that we would always go hang out with. I can't remember her name. But uh, Was it uh, Kara? Oh, probably. I saw her the other night. Really? Yeah, at the Take the Range show. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, It's guys... funny. I swear I've bumped into her like every five years regularly yeah. since college. She was cool. She was really super, cool. Super cool, yeah. Yeah, do you guys stay in touch beyond that? I was nope. just like, I just ran into you. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, when we left, I said, I'll see you in five years. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the her last night we were in there. I think you were probably already out of school by then. Probably. Because her last night we were there, uh, I think we brought a 24-pack, and there was a few of us there. Because I remember Andy actually, I think, ended up passed out in somebody's yard behind the station. Yeah, there was a, as I recall it, there was a shed and behind the shed. So there's a little tiny radio station, yeah. behind which is an even smaller shed, behind which is a rowboat. And uh, found him under the rowboat. That's yeah, right. the under the rowboat is my favorite part. Yep. Yeah, because I remember Jason... Uh, Kept hitting the uh, hitting the live mic button and just yelling swear words <laughs> while the music's going, like not even during commercial. <laughs> yeah, she didn't give a shit. It was her last day. Yeah, no, somebody got fined. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, what I mean, it was also like I think she ran twelve to two. Yeah, so it, it was the all ages show. That's right, She's yeah. a punk rock kid like us, and yeah. so yeah, it was from. I think honestly, it might have run from. 12 to 4. Yeah, that makes more sense. Probably We just went to bed at 2. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the all-ages punk rock radio in, yeah, 2001 to 2005 was awesome. Bands in and out all the time. Yeah. And even our band got to go in and play live. and It was, it was a ton of fun. That's awesome. Really? You guys played live there? Mm-hmm. That's really cool. It was so small, I couldn't imagine setting up the whole band there. There was a classroom, actually, so they just ran the cables oh, down really? the hall and into the classroom. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, because we were on a radio station once way out in the wind farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we could only bring an acoustic guitar. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure nobody in the world heard it. <laughs> I think everybody on the uh, east side of campus heard that night. We were cranked up. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys and your punk rocks. <laughs> what uh, did you do after college, then? Uh, well, I started, uh, looking for work, which took a while and, you know, you got to do something to pass the time. And so I was, I had worked at a paint store at Sherwin Williams, uh, in college just as Mm part-time and ended up getting a full-time job with them just until I found something else and ended up driving a truck. And I was, I was way closer than you'd believe to, uh, going out for a CDL and being an on-the-road trucker. Really? Yeah. At that time in my life, I was thinking, wow, 12 hours goes by like that if I'm just sitting here listening to music, trying not to run people over. Yeah. What a job. Yeah. But uh, 
That ended on a run back from St. Louis where the truck overheated and oh, yeah. I had to pull off in the middle of nowhere and wait for it to cool down and it was like 100 degrees out in the summer and I, so I had to run the heat to keep the engine cool and had my shirt off and the door down and every like 20 or 30 miles it would start to shake again and I called yeah. the boss. He's like, you got to just pull over and wait, man. And I, I made it all the way back to Plainfield and it, it just died. Yep. yep. And then... Uh, and then uh, when the police came, because big fucking truck in the road, <laughs> uh, he was like, can I see your license? Of course, officer. Here you go. He goes, no, no, your other license. What do you mean? Oh. And he goes, son, do you see that number on the side of your truck? I'll say it's, a, it's, yeah. it's chemicals. Yeah. Do you, see, do you see how that number on the side of the truck is bigger than the number that's on your driver's license? <laughs> that means you need another license. Oh, boy. At 19, I was like, my boss, he said it was fine. I didn't know. We have a smaller truck. I, usually, I don't know. <laughs> But uh, that's bogus. Yeah, so nothing happened. You know, I didn't get a ticket. Yeah, but you of... feel like a little set up. Yeah, I, I feel like somebody knew, and they were like, "Well, we could pay the money to get this done properly, or, or we could, or, or fuck it, or let's send Walsh." Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so then that was uh, shortly after I I quit. Ended up finding an office job, and I've been in offices ever since. Only two, actually. It was not bad for that, so you did that stretch of years. You did for a long time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nightmare. You didn't like insurance? Well, so, no. No, I did not. I don't care for it at all. It's, uh, you know, I might say it radicalized me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I was just a, uh, you know, uh, homespun, country-loving right. American boy. Sure. In the, uh, up until here, then, here comes insurance. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was. Uh, <clears throat> it, it, it honestly was rough. I I started on as in the phone bank, you know, just taking calls, yeah. people calling and bitching, be like, I was three days late and you canceled my insurance and now I'm in debt and I'm gonna die. I'm like, oh, right. I bet the folks at T-Mobile probably don't like have that kind of call. <laughs> sure, but uh, but I did well at it, well enough that. Uh, I was able to get off of the phones and became, I became a trainer, which was cool. Using the degree again, because I had to get in front of a class of like 10 or 12 new hires oh, and really? set up like a six week training course and be yeah. like, Did you get Let to write me tell the you. curriculum then? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't get to decide what their job duties were. Well, sure. Like how to, they how had to teach like it. a skeleton though and you had yeah, to flesh sure. it out. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes sense. That's really cool. But you hated that still eventually. Yeah, yeah. It was good for a while and then uh, learned a little bit more about how uh, big corporations work and about how it's not really about getting the job done. It's about the people above you thinking you got the job done. So there was all these middle managers uh, just throwing out impossible tasks. Yeah. and Which is their job. Because any, yeah. anytime you're doing well, mm -hmm. they have to up what you're doing sure and futz with it mm -hmm. until it's just barely unattainable yep they keep you chasing chasing the cheese mm -hmm. yep but yeah i ended up uh that was the only time i ever uh quit a job without another prospect lined up really yeah i uh i still gave two weeks i finished up a project that i was working on and i was like that's it because uh, the, the final straw was a, a moment where they were like all right you're gonna need to train this uh this new software, and I was like, it, it doesn't exist. Like, it's not, it's not built. Like, the programmers have like a half working yeah. copy of it. 
and you want me to train the people? And they were like, oh, yeah, they're going to start using it next week. And then it's not done. Yeah. I was like, it's not done. Like, It'll be close enough. And, Oof. and uh, yeah, it was a disaster. And so I, I got through it and I said, thanks. That was fun. And I'm going. I wonder how many businesses go away on the principle of. Yeah. But you know what happened is even though it was a fucking shit show and customer service got backed up and it was a nightmare for everyone involved, whoever set that target date we're going to release on this day hit their target and <laughs> probably got a promotion. Yeah. Or at least a raise bonus mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, what's. So after the after insurance, did you land in the, your present job? Yeah. Or was yeah. there something in between? Nope. Skyrim was in between. <laughs> You did Platinum Skyrim. I did. Which I've always been impressed by because it's painful. The Thieves Guild is uh, remorseless. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you actually have a pretty interesting job. Yeah. Uh, well, eh, yeah. I think it's interesting because like these big trade shows that come around, mm. you, if I understand correctly, basically you set up the internet for these big trade shows for people that are displaying their... They yeah, can, so it's more like... It's uh, the people, the actual, whoever's putting it on. Yeah, yeah, so the people that are putting it on, you know, they got this giant exhibit space that they need to carve up into individual exhibits to yeah. sell to whoever's going to show up with right. their, hawk their wares, so like you know? like C2E2, for instance. Yeah, totally. I don't, like, not yeah, necessarily we, they, that one, but, like, yeah. that's the idea. It's the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So all those booths on the floor plan, you know, those companies are like, okay, I need 300 square feet, and yeah. I need it on the corner of an aisle, and I think yada, I'm fascinated yada, yada. by it, because when I was doing project management, I helped set, uh, look into the cost of stuff like that mm -hmm. for a particular client, and they, just to get the internet in the little booth, mm -hmm. was like $400 a day. Oh yeah, so it's insane. Well, what's going on now, and we we've actually done this because not it's so meta, but not only are we a trade show management software company, we go and exhibit at trade shows to sell our trade show management software. <laughs> um, and yeah, so trip. when you go down there, <clears throat> it will cost you X amount of dollars to uh, ship, say like a say like a big TV, like sixty five inch TV. You want to yep. do a demonstration on, costs a shitload of money to ship it. It costs way more than that to rent it. Yeah, so for less more. less than either of those, you can go to Best Buy and purchase the TV and just fucking leave it there. So yeah. every time they have one of these shows, people are going and buying equipment and ditching it because it costs them less than renting yeah, it. Which is insane. insane. Yeah, because it's not really screwing Best Buy as far as buy and return. Mm -hmm. It's screwing them on service plans, but it's... It's in the. I don't know where those prices come from. Plus, there's so many. There's actually very specific rules. I don't know if you've run into that. Where it's like when you, if you bring stuff, because they're union workers, mm -hmm. they have to touch everything. They have to bring it in. They mm -hmm. can't let you touch stuff because it's a unionized yeah. position. Yeah, and it, it depends on the city. It's loosened yeah. up, but there is definitely a story of a uh, a show in Chicago where all we had to bring was a couple of computers, network them together. And kind of run it from a station. Yeah. Got there. Uh, we ran our own uh, network cables, plugged in our own mice. All that was good. Some dude standing there with crossed arms watching. And as <laughs> soon as they tried to plug the power cables for the laptops into the wall, yeah. uh, they got stopped. And they were like, uh-uh, you don't do that. We got a guy for that. And so they had to wait and call an electrician to come in and plug their computers in. Yeah. What do you think about stuff like that? Uh, I think it's a, maybe a silly misapplication of what's a solid and necessary premise like i'm all for yeah it's almost organizational labor, too but... literally sure like like when they're literally combing the desert in space mm -hmm. walls yeah <laughs> it's like are we being too literal yeah i think so 
<laughs> no, you fool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know, but I, I don't think you can judge something on, you know, it's nonsense outlier sure, stories, yeah. right? Otherwise, yeah. everything There's would be terrible. There's uh, definitely a happenstance that created that at some point. Mm-hmm. But there, I do think there's a lot of policies that we just roll over on because they're policies. Because you don't want to deal with the headache. Yeah, there's, yeah, exactly. There should be something somewhere that's constantly questioning and updating policies. Mm-hmm. You would hope. But what did you take a speed reading course? No. I feel like you did something about speed reading. No, never. I I read a lot, but my minor in college was English, so I I read a ton. What did you read in college? Uh, gosh, all all kinds of stuff. You know, you get you try to get a uh, you got to take have like a curriculum that you have to read this. Uh, well, it's more like uh, within the curriculum, you got to hit so many like lower level, and then a certain number you choose from the higher levels. So, like for example, my senior year, my four hundred level English course, I had several choices, okay. and the one I took was called the Ethics of Suffering, Ooh. which is you know deep dive into yeah. into some hard literature and who wrote that? Themes. uh well so that was the name of the course oh, we okay. we read stuff like uh marquis de sade did you read ethics uh i read a book called ethics for the new millennium by the dalai lama that was pretty good yeah um and i then, can't pronounce buddy's name so i don't want to sound like a jagoff mm. but there's a book called ethics oh aristotle no Emmanuel, no, that's poetics uh, yeah emmanuel uh Kant? Oh, Kant? Yeah, that yeah. W- that's more like philosophy. But Okay, cause I own that because I like to pretend I'm important. Sure. No, that's good stuff. But I like to stretch the old brain. But uh, yeah, and, and then I did my final, you know, do this right and you'll get your minor on A Clockwork Orange. So it was tons of fun. Really? Yeah. That's really cool. That's a good book, too. Mm-hmm. Very, just different enough from the movie. Uh you read a, a lot, like an uncomfortable amount. Some would say <laughs> an heroic amount. I would say it's a middling amount. <laughs> like you've read all the, the Song of Fire, Ice and Fire books. Well, the ones that have been written, George. Well, there's no re, there's no way for you to not. Uh, yeah. Actually, probably not. Well, I guess the main story you've written, read. Mm-hmm. You haven't uh, read the uh, extra stuff. Oh, I did read Duncan Egg. But not uh, what's the new show on HBO? Uh, Fire and Blood. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't read that. Yeah, oh yeah, because there's two of those. Yeah, although I think is only one published. Maybe I, I, I forget. Who, who could tell? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the only like like that's I only mentioned that because that's something we all know. It's part of the zeitgeist now. Sure. Yeah. But that's really nothing like tip of the iceberg versus your love of fantasy literature. I would say that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's high up there. It's really quality work. Yeah, I, I don't mean like quality. Bit, I just yeah. mean like most recognizable. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about, let's like chip away at that iceberg. Okay. So what is your favorite fantasy series? Oh, ask me uh, to pick a favorite child, why don't you? Yeah, well, you only Which have I can one. do, I only have <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. Yep. That's probably easier. Yep. The harder part would be like, do you like fantasy or your child more? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> we could do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Love you, Dana. Obviously, I choose you. There's always sci-fi. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, because they, and do you feel that they kind of take, they're very different, but they almost have a, a familiar structure when you jump into something. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like jumping from a Song of Ice and Fire to uh, 
any of the other books is like, all right, I have a general understanding of the genre, and the genre shares certain things. It does, yeah, for sure. But you get, uh, should we use the word shape? Differently shaped stories. Sure. Like Song of Ice and Fire is a thing in which you follow multiple characters yeah. and a huge land with competing interests and changing politics scape. And yeah. that is a common trope in it, fantasy, well, it's but it's also, not it's not indicative of fantasy, right? Right, but it's also I think highly political. Yeah, like more political I think than people would realize. Because oh yeah. So you don't really realize it, but it's such a political show versus something like uh, Wheel of Time, mm -hmm. which is did you watch the trailer for season two? Uh yeah yeah. By the time this comes out, season two will have dropped. No way. Hopefully we won't be disappointed. Uh, <laughs> since I live in the future, Tim, it's pretty good. Nice. That's exciting. <laughs> but, like, what do you think is the difference then? Because I don't know anything about Wheel of Time outside mm -hmm. of what I've watched on the show. Mm -hmm. And a little bit, like, for Song of Ice and Fire, I watched hundreds of hours of videos. Yeah. Because I refuse to read because I'm a baby. <laughs> and I've done very small, on a much smaller scale with uh, Wheel of Time. And you know, you know what would not... be a really fun exercise? This is a sidebar. I'm sorry if I derailed the entire episode. <laughs> But I would love to have you measure how fast you read, like words per minute, yeah, and then try to get an estimate of how many hours of YouTube you've watched on the lore and history of A Song in Ice and Fire, yeah. and see how far into the series you would be if you spent your time. So I know that the first book is only 40 hours audiobook, mm -hmm. which means I've listened to it, the equivalent of it, twice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I gotta think that's the first two books yeah. done, if I wasn't an asshole about it. <laughs> I should just break down. And after watching uh, that, the lady on Bookborn do it, I do trust her opinion. It made me way more interested in the book. Mm. I'm just intimidated by the sheer size. And also because I don't read anything really outside of comics, it, my brain doesn't comprehend uh, point of view storytelling. Because I haven't done it in so long. Do you mean, when you say point of view, do you mean like uh, seeing from different characters' perspectives? Or do you right. mean like... like I presume in the book, it's each chapter, like there's definite breaks. It's not changing perspectives. In yeah, the Song of, of Ice and Fire, literally the chapter titles are the character names. So oh, it'll really? be like, you know, Sansa, and then a chapter, and then the next one will be called Tyrion, and it's all from his perspective. And it's really cool because the writing style shifts in these yeah. subtle ways to reflect like what's going on in their head. Yeah. yeah, see, I think I would like that action. Like just that sounds so much more appealing than the show. Uh, even though I much prefer movies and TV, but that sounds just so much more in depth and easier to track per character as opposed to an overview like mm -hmm. you're getting on a TV show. Mm -hmm. Because you're not, especially that show, you're not like you're not following a character. You're overviewing hundreds. True, but in the language of film, if I can get <laughs> pretentious as possible, oh please, uh, certain like scenes and narratives are from a character's perspective, just in subtle ways, right? It's not yeah. like you're a first person. It's not hardcore Henry, right? which made me sick, by the way. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, I'm glad they at least attempted. I'm really glad that it's people are making... It's a cool idea, but... That, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like a merry-go-round. Like, I'm glad yeah. they exist, but I, sure. I'm not going to get on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Now, uh we're kind of going back into those deep because these are they're heavy like there's i don't want to i hesitate to use the word system and you know what i mean by system 
Like I don't. You do in sense of like <laughs> there's magic in ice and fire. Yeah. There's magic in wheel oh, of time. Oh, like the magic systems. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. because there's a political. That's system. one of my favorite parts is but learning new magic yeah, systems. There's a political and, system. Yeah. There's gonna be uh, some sort of hierarchy. There's yeah. gonna be a magic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all kind of tropes of sure. fantasy. Definitely. Yeah, uh, and and they are all different. Those might be broad enough to not even call tropes. Yeah, that's right? probably true. Yeah. Like, uh, having a magic system, how fucking tropey is that? <laughs> my only my only comparison, honestly, is video games, Final Fantasy. Yeah. Because there's been 16 of those now, and they are not a linear, they're not a story, they're 16 individual things. Sure. So it's, but if they all share, It's that's my closest allegory to the fantasy genre, mm-hmm. where they share elements, uh, and that's it. Now, Starlight Archive is also another big one. Storm. Stormlight. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't read because I'm not a nerd. Mm. Unless it's comic books. Which we're going to talk about in a minute also. All right, fair enough. But the Stormlight mm-hmm. Archive, mm-hmm. Uh, would you say those are your top three? Uh, No, actually. I don't know that... Ooh, this is, this is tough. It's children again. <laughs> I don't know... If I would put Song of Ice and Fire or Wheel of Time in my top th- really? three, maybe not. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Stormlight it... is at the top. Yeah. Yeah. And what's like Stormlight is part of a whole like shared universe of multiple series that take place in a shared universe. And now, what do you mean by that? So Stormlight Archive takes place on a single planet with its own magic system and politics yeah. and gods and whatnot. Sure. There are other planets in this universe that By have other authors no him oh who, yeah. who writes Stormlight? who writes other series but who writes it yeah same who? guy oh brandon sanderson brandon sanderson uh, <laughs> oh right. not yeah, he's got too much whom writes it yeah whom <laughs> he's got too much in his brain yeah for sure okay so he writes so there's multiple stories coming out of this one universe. there are and my opinion is that while the most of his work is is pretty good it's fine i like it good yeah. enough something about stormlight is just popping and hit me gut punched me and i reread it several times and it hits just as hard each time yeah. so are they offshoots though like is there there's the main stormlight archive series mm-hmm. and then a bunch of there is another series in. called mistborn there's oh, okay. six of those now um and it's a different world different characters slowly as this dude uh puts out books and series they're starting to slowly mingle oh. and uh via magic systems and discovering old, you know, secrets and whatnot. They're figuring out ways to travel between series, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so you'll Does see... Does it take place at different times, or is it all still... Uh, yeah. I mean, fantasy is kind mm. of uh, outside of time in some places. Yeah. Sometimes it's the future, sometimes it's the past. Right. Time is relative to whatever. Yeah. So, no, they're... Uh, they're of varying times, and there would be uh, someday, I assume, a coherent timeline, which right. is something to look forward to. But right now, it's more like you see, uh, you know, this person doing this magic on that planet, and you're like, they're not supposed to do that here. They only do that there. Yeah. How do you get there? That's awesome. It, I, I find it fascinating that particular idea in that scope of a story, uh, just because that's very comic booky, where you have a dozen or mm-hmm. upwards of. Like when DC relaunched they, years ago, they did the new 52. And that was just 52 main titles all in one shared universe. And 
and I feel like that's why people piss themselves with the MCU, mm-hmm. is because you've never seen anything like that on a on a big budget movie scale. Yeah, and it's incredible when it's done right, but it's existed forever in storytelling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it's really cool to kind of see. I would love to see them shift away. Like, I, obviously, I love comic books, but I would love to see them shift away. And ha- I don't know how you would do a Stormlight Archive justice. In that kind of a scale, yeah. uh, I think you'd have to do it like the MC, where you have your main story might be movies, and then your offshoot books are series, and they cross over, mm-hmm. which would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think these days though the the model is proven, and if you want to faithfully adapt, say a regular sized novel, or let's say a regular regularly sized fantasy novel, because they they tend to be big. Yeah. Um, you, you need a season of of high high budget television. It does seem like at least ten hours. Yeah, it, exactly. A ten hour movie versus a th- two or three hour movie is yeah going to give you a freedom to do what you couldn't otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Now you put Lord of the Rings in your top. Like yeah, that? I do top three. Yep. So Stormlight Archive, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and then uh, I don't know. I might I might juggle a few. Yeah, there. just keep a rotating third. <laughs> yeah. There's there's one series that's so high quality, but it's uh, only two out of a trilogy are done, and it's another one of those authors where it's like this motherfucker he's never gonna finish this. Really? We're gonna be stuck with two thirds of a trilogy forever. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, well, hold on! Isn't like, Stormlight Archive? Is that the one that somebody else started? No, no. Okay, but well, there is a connection there because okay. the Wheel of Time. Is, is Wheel of Time the one? It is. There's fif- there was an author that wrote it. There was 15 Wheel of Time books, yes. and the original author wrote uh, 12 of them. And then passed away. And then passed away. But and his a, a protege. Yeah. Well, he never met the guy until after he was dead. Oh, it was, really? It's a cool story. Like, the, the original author, Robert Jordan, yeah. uh, married his editor, which is, yeah. I, I love that. That's adorable. Yeah, that's how you get books published. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, so after... Uh, Robert Jordan passed, Brandon Sanderson, author of the Stormlight uh, okay. Archive, right. um, had read and loved The Wheel of Time, of course, yeah. and uh, wrote a blog post that was basically this beautiful eulogy and goodbye to one of my favorite authors and whatnot. Yeah. Fast forward to uh, The Widow uh, and the editor decides, okay, we need to find the next person to do uh, this. So it was already planned this. to have somebody continue the they story. Were, they were going to search, for sure. Yeah. And if they found the right person, yes. Right. And There's she really comes cool. across this blog post. Somebody brings it to her attention, like, look at what this guy wrote yeah, about your, about your husband. background, too. And then they, she was like, okay, oh, and he's an author? Yeah. Oh, give me one of his books. She read one of his books, and then, can you imagine just sitting at home, and you get the call, and it's like, hi, I'm the creator of your most beloved uh the thing and i wonder if you'd like to finish it yeah that's <laughs> and, insane yeah so, so but he did and he knocked it out of the park so wheel of time is finite it is it's, it's done. done it's done okay uh it, it is a fascinating like uh, there's so much stuff that like just from what i've watched is just barely touched upon mm-hmm. as far as having it's got a, a to me it's got a really cool magic system as far as different kinds of witches. one of my favorites yeah actually if you go to magic systems yeah wheel of time might be number two really really interesting but what I find fascinating too is that we were just talking about how time is like not really a thing in these sort of books, mm-hmm. uh, because in Wheel of Time you see a lot of like middle, like medieval. It has like almost a, a Dark Ages feel mm-hmm. because you deal with swords and sorcery and magic. 
But if you pay attention, there's all these allusions or downright showings of ultra modern technology. Absolutely. Built into it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know enough to know what that means is the big story, Mm -hmm. but it's enough to be like, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a line that gets used in every single Wheel of Time book, uh, in like, usually in a floofy kind of an intro to like scene setting sort of a way. And uh, I still get chills when I hear it. And it's, uh, oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it. Now that I'm on the mic. Paraphrasing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's like, uh, it describes something, say like a wind over the mountain and it describes it in beautiful prose. And then it always ends with the wind was not the beginning. There are no beginnings to the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Ooh, yeah, that is awesome. That makes me want to know more about that too. It also helps that watching it, uh, what's her name is so good as that main character. I can't remember mm. her name either. Rosamund Pike. Yeah, Rosamund Pike yeah, is phenomenal. Yep. Yep, great casting. Another example of uh, the nerds who got up in arms because she doesn't uh, completely match the physical description given in the books. Sure. Well, like... She's too tall. Yeah, she Shut is up. tall, but... She's great. It's, it's, it's tough because I've been on both sides of those. As a comic book nerd, like, comic books, toxic, like, the toxic environment around comics. Are they? Oh. they Because the thing about comics is you can change any character's race. You can change their gender. Like, comic books are supposed to mirror the, mirror the community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are just a collection of ideals that are universal, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's, if I take a Superman story, though, and say, all right, well, here's 85 years of Superman's history. He's been this guy. Mm-hmm. And then put him on the TV and change all the stuff about him. People are going to get uncomfortable because now they identify as Superman. But when you pull that back a little farther, in 85 years, he's had at least 80 different writers, mm-hmm. 80 different artists, and 80 different variations of who this person is mm-hmm. and what it means to that time it was written. So it's what if that's the main reason I always get annoyed when comic book people complain about whatever portrayal is happening at that point in our time. Because, it like, what do you mean it's not your Superman? Are you talking about the 1938? Mm-hmm. Were you there? Or the 72? Right. Or the Christopher Reeves? Or, like... Or, or the one from '96. Like, what do you what do you mean? Yep. It doesn't like you don't have an ownership over this, yep. and we should constantly be pushing the boundaries. Um, at the same time, I do think that it's important for representation's sake to create new characters and push them, mm-hmm. uh, not push them down your throat in a "Hey, look at us" kind of way, but is a this is clearly part of society. Mm-hmm. It's weird that you're making it weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I love that. It's weird that you're making it weird. Yeah, because yeah, like I know that they're planning on doing a story uh, about a, a black Superman, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. It's insane that it's taken this long to even talk about it. Mm-hmm. But there's no, that's not a problem. It's not Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. It's not you know the son of Jarrell. There's oh, interesting. other people from this thing. Mm-hmm. There's no way that a planet, like, even if this planet blows up, there's a bunch of people not on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> in various space stations or whatever. That's a very traumatic thing. Mm. But if this country blew up, there's a bunch of humans still. Yeah. And there's a bunch of Americans abroad. No doubt. So to think that this two people survived <laughs> from Krypton 
and that's it. It's mm. insane. Like, and I think it's anytime one of them would show up to Earth, they would realize things are different mm. because they're they're not these super beings anywhere else. They're that's only here because of the proximity of our sun to Earth. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason they have superpowers. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just normal people. So I don't understand when like when there has uh, gay characters or minority characters. Everybody wants to get up in arms. They do the same thing in Star Wars. Like, oh my God, oh there's a girl. Mm-hmm. There's a girl. It's not Star Wars. Like, no, it is. This is this is what it is, mm-hmm. and it's constantly gonna evolve. It's gonna get even more evolved later. If you're uncomfortable, please leave. Yeah. Do you see stuff like that in, uh, you probably, I don't know how involved you are in the community of fantasy? Uh, I'm what uh, I believe an internet community would call a lurker. (laughs) I read, I don't post. That's probably what I would say about myself too. Do you see stuff like that? Especially like with the casting stuff where it's like, "Mm, that guy's kind of got dark skin. He shouldn't really have dark skin. No, I am I'm very pleased to say that, at least from what I've seen, the fantasy community is really, really positive. Yeah. About that kind I'm of stuff. I'm hoping it stays that way because realistically, it's yeah, it's in its infancy compared to comic books, right? That have had almost a hundred year history at this point. Yeah, like uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings uh, fandom might be an exception to that because that kind of kind of transcends genre a little bit. Yeah, especially after the Peter Jackson movies. Yeah, right? but you also feel like, <laughs> that's a good segue into this next part as far as talking about. Some of this writing is dated and is problematic. Yeah. So do you think that, that that might be a reason, too, why something like Lord of the Rings might have a little more toxicity? It's a little more problematic in certain spots. Hmm. Uh, tell me more. That's more of a question, because I haven't right. read any of it. Uh, it's more of... It didn't sound like a question, but there right. was a question mark at the end. Yeah. No, I uh, I've never found it to be hmm oh do i want to go down this rabbit hole hmm. how many people can we alienate in one hour uh yeah uh, frankly the most offensive thing about lord of the rings is the religion that's dan walsh's point sure uh and uh that's, well, and that's your experience yeah like obviously anybody who reads is gonna have a different experience we're two middle-aged white men like sure who the fuck are we <laughs> No. But based on our experience, that would be the but most uh, frustrating. Part. There, but there is a uh, a sincere lack of uh, uh, racial diversity and um, impactful female characters. Yeah. I will say that the uh, the Silmarillion, which is uh, woefully adapted in the <laughs> new show, um, uh, has a whole lot more yeah. m- impactful female characters. Yes. Uh, now, th- now this idea. When was Lord of the Rings originally written? Fifties. Uh, so the world's very different, mm-hmm. right? And it, and as we grow, we can't really use it as an excuse. To me, I've I've always loved the idea of taking something for what it is, uh, and it's a very worst like acknowledging what it is and being like, hey. Mm-hmm. We don't want to change what this is because it's it is art, mm. and it would be like lying, or pretending it didn't happen if we altered this, mm. and then putting it back out into the world because it is missing these things that we've grown to kind of accept and experience. Do you think the new show because that's a toxic piece that the internet 
lost its fucking mind about yeah. is seeing strong female characters yep. in an adaptation of something mm-hmm. and uh, and seeing more diversity as well because the core books didn't. So if we take mm-hmm. that and say, all right, this was a different thing written 70 years ago. Yeah. And we're doing uh, not necessarily a modern telling, but we're telling it clearly in a modern time as far as storytelling goes. Mm-hmm. Why would it? Why would you expect it to look like something from the fifties, or do you think it should look like something? From yeah, the 50s? I think to play devil's advocate, the uh, the folks who get pissy about that would say it doesn't have to represent the fifties. It has to represent the source material, right? It's an adaptation sure. should be a love letter to the source material yeah. and not a, not a uh, you know a betrayal do of it. Like... I don't feel like the new stuff is a betrayal of the source material necessarily well, i think it, they, i think they made a lot of poor storytelling choices really yeah but. i think they uh, well because i hadn't read it mm-hmm. it was easy to digest the show mm-hmm. going back and do, doing my youtube dives i was like huh mm-hmm. <laughs> why did they make all these decisions yeah but i also know that they only had access to a quarter of a story and wanted to tell 100% of a story yeah, yeah, I, I would love, and I never have, to uh, to research like what exactly they had the rights to, and the way that they were able to. I have to assume, yeah, belly right up to that line. It's and... crazy if you because that came up in the deep dive I did on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, about Rings of Power, particularly, like where they're pulling stuff like literally a sentence, mm-hmm. a sentence that has chapters of a book somewhere else, mm-hmm. and they only have access to use a sentence. Hmm. And they're just filling in whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, it, it's almost like it's doomed from the start. But at the same time, if you compare it to something like Star Wars, which is another toxic uh, fandom. A little bit. Yeah. But what do you think of the newest three Star Wars films? Uh, uh, very much the same. I didn't have any problem with any of the casting choices. I actually found some of it quite charming. Right. But, uh, like, storytelling? like. Sure. Eh. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, big-budget, piss-poorly written material like that was shortly followed by a writer's strike. <laughs> right? Like, I think yeah. I think it, we're reaching a point in the industry where writers really aren't given the respect that they are due. And I think that's being learned because I think yeah. people are for a while have been operating under, oh, the according to my calculations, what people like is yes. big budget spectacle right. and this and that and the other. And way down at the bottom of that is like coherent storytelling. Yeah. And we're finding that what people love about the things that, that, uh, that last, that stay with us, mm-hmm. is actually the, the writing, the impactful storytelling. Yeah. And that when you, when you make a big budget spectacle without it, it, it becomes transient and it doesn't stick with you, right? It's just like, right. oh, that was schlocky. It was fine. I'm not angry about it, but I'm not going to watch it again. Right. It just, yeah, it just is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always notice that in the cinema, because I only go and see certain things uh, at the actual cinema. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I can tell how I feel like, because when it ends, I have this, like, f- not feeling of dread, but, like, it's almost like an emptiness where it's like, it wasn't. It wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but it, it none of the. I. It wasn't good, 
It was. It yeah. just was. You wanna. You wanna know something that's even worse than that feeling <laughs> is when you drag somebody to a movie like that, and yeah. you're like, "This is gonna be great." Yeah. And then it ends, and it's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, man." Did that happen? <laughs> uh, I mean, I I kind of talked up the Wheel of Time TV show, and it was. It turned oh, out yeah. to be like okay. I, yeah, I still liked it, and I, mean... I I did a lot of. Uh, this is you know this series defined and directly led to the modern fantasy resurgence yeah. and we're gonna see it on tv y'all and, <laughs> i do uh, remember that yeah. we watched it together it's so fucking jazzed yeah and uh it's fine it's pretty good it's okay yeah it is it's easy to forgive certain aspects because there's some behind the scenes problems that's true too that yeah. affect the show wildly mm-hmm. th- that hurt the show wildly but aren't anybody's fault really yeah uh but i think it's good enough there's a good enough bones there that I'm stoked for season two. Mm-hmm. Like, genuinely. And no, same. Plus, same. I love... Like, I, I can't say... In, uh, without even knowing enough about it, like you were saying, it's one of your favorite magic systems. The setup of the different kind of witches... I love a, a nice color coding. It makes my OCD feel mm-hmm. good. And just the, the, the way of that is coming around. Uh, also, only women have magic. Like, it's, it's just so compelling and interesting. That I, I'm, I'm hoping that they can uh, write the ship in season two, which I think they can. It's it's set up for success for sure. Yeah, and I would love to see it uh, continue forward. Uh, but yeah, so going back to what we were talking about too, with like potentially problematic ideas. Oh yeah, speaking of this yeah. uh, this series that defined the modern fantasy genre, and I ran around touting. Like y'all watch this on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it's got some problematic shit in it, man. Right. There's some. Uh, there's uh, men be like this and women be like this, uh, <laughs> very much in yeah. there. And like the the I think the intent was to uh, maybe say that like that black and white thinking is wrong. Sure. Uh, but you didn't quite get there. <laughs> well, I'm sure if we looked at progression, if we had a scale. Here's little steps, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're, we're going in the right direction, mm-hmm. but uh, life moves faster than print. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, it feels progressive as far as only women have magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if men, anybody can practice magic in this world. But if the men practice magic, they go insane yep. and become like, the power goes to their head, basically. Yep. Like, what a metaphor, anyways. Mm hmm. So I, in that way, it feels progressive. Yep. But like anything, yeah, there's still going to be, you know, whatever comes up. But what I'm curious is, in this day and age, too, because of uh, we want to ch- change things and that already exists and then repurpose them for ourselves now and then re-release them. Uh, something like... We we talked about this before, uh, uh, weeks ago, like Roald Dahl. Mm-hmm. And they, they are taking Roald Dahl stories, because they own the rights to them, and taking out all the problematic things that 100% exist and are genuinely problems mm-hmm. uh, and blatant, like, horrible, and omitting them from the books and then re-releasing the books with all that not in it. What do you think of something like that? Ooh, uh, re-releasing the original, I'm not a huge, like, an edited copy of the original, unless you're, like... Unless you're marking it as such. Yeah. 
I'm not so much for that. It's one I thing do if you're believe like, this is this is James the Giant Peach for your kindergarten class. Yes, exactly. As opposed to being like, all right, you're in high school. This is what James the Giant Peach is really like. Yep. Yeah, like that to me makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to try to put it out a rolled doll book as what you are turning it into, mm-hmm. that I think is wrong. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, mostly. Mostly. I think there is a certain something to, maybe to be said for um, that if you give kids the watered-down version, they don't grow out of it. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to do this, but I'm gonna harp on religion again. Um, <laughs> I, I've actually spoken to clergy. I practiced in my sure. youth, youth sure. who have said things like, the um the sermons you get at church is it's different than if you spend your life studying the text yeah. and the meaning and the history of what the religion is really all about right. but people get that watered down version early and they're like this is simple this is comfortable this is what i was taught yeah. and fuck you for changing it right and i wouldn't like to see a child who is who, you just who described grow... every reason for every toxic fandom yeah right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> But yeah, in in the same kind of vein, maybe like, maybe it would be more healthy to not shelter the children. Maybe it's better to just say, "Hey, here's this book that uh, isn't to be read until a certain age, yeah. uh, so that we can talk about the themes like in a more, in in more adult fashion." You right? wouldn't show Catcher in the Rye to a junior high school kid, right? Or to an elementary school kid, right? And and for that same reason, I probably wouldn't. Uh, I probably wouldn't do like Catcher in the Rye goes shopping <laughs> right. as a picture book. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I, I just don't understand the the motivation behind it. Uh, I, I don't like the uh, like our society thinks we can take history mm-hmm. and just erase the ugly parts. Mm-hmm. That's not history. That's fascism, mm-hmm. and that's you know creating whatever whatever yeah. uh, narrative you want. And it's insane to me, especially now. I think it's more relevant now, honestly, because of this whole thing that's happening right now with AI. Oh, there's a whole new topic. Right. But I think that they're, I think they're related because here's us taking something that already is art and exists and is what it is, which is all art supposed to be. And instead of being able to teach somebody and talk to them and be like, hey, here's why this is a problem. This is, we've grown as a people and as a culture, which should always be happening. Mm-hmm. And understand, it's, to me, the amazing part is that we can look at and say, this is a problem because of this. Yep. It's still, this is still a beautiful story, but this is a problem, this is a problem, and we've grown. And to mm-hmm. be able to recognize that you've grown is amazing. Right, right. And if that's the sort of a lesson yes. that a person is too young to know, sure. then, then maybe as a culture we say this book even you know if it was intended for a target audience when it was written yes it takes a little bit more cultural wherewithal to really process it yeah and and maybe and we're we're talking about handing books to children right versus like what's available at the bookstore yeah right exactly they go to school and you hand them you know pass out 20 copies of this right that's a different thing but i think it's it's related to and the idea of that switch now becomes and artificial intelligence is creating art 
and it's doing all of it. It's being the writer. It's being the editor. Like in some places, it's being the actor. Like it's yes. doing everything. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's a problem? I don't think that it's doing everything yet, and it could, and maybe the slip slippery slope. Yeah. Is not a good argument. Like it's right, it's it's, right. a, it's a bit of a logical fallacy. But uh, <laughs> let's go, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe one day it will do everything, and that's scary, right? Yeah. But if it's capable of doing everything like that, you start asking questions about is it sentient, uh, and yeah. that's fun. It and is I, fun, and, and I like. But that. common sense tells you eventually it has to be. Yeah, but right now in right the now, in, yeah. in the present, or at least five minutes into the present in which I live, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> But do you think it's a problem to be able to... I could go I, onto an AI and type in just simple jargon yeah. and have it generate a whole book. You could, and it would be shitty. And then a five-year-old could put the same jargon in and get the same shitty book, but somebody else could yeah. put the jargon in, get the shitty book, tell the AI, this, this, yeah. this are what aren't working, and here's why, try again. It does, and then that person reads the output and again refines their prompts. Now, there is an art yeah, to sure. that. Now, that's to, that's, to me, different. Because... Uh, well, that's what people are doing now. Right. The stuff that you see where yes. it's like, an AI did this. It's like, no, yeah. a person spent probably eight hours going right. back and forth with, with the AI, AI to get this to happen. Which is no different than realistically going back and forth with an editor. Maybe published. Yeah, or maybe it's like, you know, should the should the caveman slapping okra on the cave wall be jealous of the uh, tribe next door who invented feather pens and ink? Right. It's like that's all you got to do. Is... Yeah. So, so you're thinking it's a, almost a natural progression. Yeah. If if we allow you know technology to proceed with you know not completely unimpeded, like there's going to be some regulation, but. In the general, is it think, moves faster than we can regulate it. It, it really does, which yeah. is insane because you know a lot of a lot of stuff, especially when the AI starts refining the AI. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's my favorite part is being like, "Hey, can you just watch yourself? Yep, and not destroy yourself." Yeah. Dude, great. I wrote, I read a sci-fi. I'm doing air quotes that no one can see. Uh, <laughs> a sci-fi book, uh, probably about ten years ago, about a program that would read your email and consider the recipient and the message you were trying to say and rephrase your email to get the best positive response out of the intended recipient. So that's literally what Grammarly does. It does it now. We're yeah. living in that age. Yeah. Of course, in the book, it goes sentient and World War Three happens. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I've seen the iRobot and Eagle Eye. <laughs> for sure. But like... Like yeah, we we literally like we've gone like the the distance between sci-fi and reality. I mean, in this example, it's ten years. It's crazy. It, it's almost terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm one of those ones that's just as excited as I am terrified, like because no joke. Like if there was, if we had whatever the equivalent of a warp drive is going to be in our reality, I would a hundred percent do some Star Trek shit, like just yeah. to be a person on an, an on an exploration vessel mm-hmm. where like you're just there and getting to experience that as a private citizen. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. Would you do like a low-level job, would you be like the exploration vessel bartender or janitor or something like that, or you want to be cutting edge of the science? Uh, I don't think... Well, you want to be on the away team or no? <laughs> I would love to be the away team guy who's like, all right, we need a red shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a normal guy to get excited or terrified uh, about stuff. Beam down the meat shield. <laughs> 
But I, I think it'd be fun to be the bartender, especially like if we're gonna keep going to the point where we're gonna run into other life, mm-hmm. and they're gonna be coming onto the ship and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Bartender would be the best spot, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting to talk to everybody and things like that. I would think so. Yeah, I don't have the. I mean, obviously it's a fantasy idea, anyways. <laughs> but I'm still in my head. I'm like, well, I don't have the education in this fake scenario, right? <laughs> to be on the science team. But yeah, being like a guidance from the next generation. Yep. Just right in the bar. And mm-hmm. every, everybody knows her. It's awesome. Yep. I would absolutely. But I would sign up for that. I think genuinely, like, when I think about how terrifying it is, and even like what just happened with the stuff in the ocean, I would have no problem gambling my life on the prospect of that kind of exploration. Sure. Like, that just sounds so cool. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, I got a feeling, and I don't know if this is where we wanted this conversation to go, but I got a feeling uh, it may never happen. I think I, th- I think there's a distinct possibility that the laws of physics keep us bound to our star system or within the next couple of star systems. Yeah. Uh, at least within a human lifetime, uh, robot explorers are gonna we're gonna launch robots into the nethers of the universe as long as we can for sure no doubt yeah. and maybe they'll be sentient robots but sure. i think the idea of trav like transporting a human body at such speeds that within a lifetime you can explore other stars and civilizations like we're gonna have to learn something about physics that changes everything if that's even gonna be possible you know well, i think there's a piece of sci-fi that that we know just from being sci-fi nerds that doesn't exist in the real world either Mm -hmm. aside from a warp drive is uh, the idea of being able to go into some sort of hibernation mode Mm -hmm. because you're talking about it takes lifetimes to get from places Mm -hmm. you have to go into some sort of hibernation mode uh or or because time is dictated by gravity Mm -hmm. uh, in our understanding of that Whatever the artificial life is on a ship would have to have some sort of thing built in that we can't fathom at the moment where time in the in the sense we're getting out in the fucking weeds, but yeah, I love it. time in the sense of how we age mm-hmm. would be different on a, a vessel mm-hmm. like a enterprise. That's right. Because it's artificial gravity. You have everything you would need to stay healthy. Like, food is created autonomously. Uh, and if you want to go on vacation, it's just done in a holiday. Like, anything you would need is is there. And realistically, aside from, like, normal low levels of stress, you don't really have, like, a job or money. or You've grown beyond a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... post-scarcity. Exactly. Like Love it. So I think it's... I think because of that, I think we would stop thinking of our lives within a 60 to 90 year range mm-hmm. and it, we would just we would probably lose track of our ages because you without that earthbound gravity that says you're this and this is the wear and tear it's done on your body yeah you would lose that out in the traveling right. space yeah you could you could say someone could ask you how old you are right. you can say well in the time that i've been alive <laughs> yeah this number of years have passed for me this number of years have passed at the on the planet where I came from, right. this number of years, which is of, even yeah. just that, yeah. If there's mingling of species, yeah, is mind blowing. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things like, eventually it all just goes away and becomes irrelevant. Yeah, or there'll be some new 
if there was ever an intergalactic whatever, yeah. there would be some new uh, way of measuring it. Mm. But I think that uh, it would bum me out to think that it would never happen. I yeah. think it'll happen, but we have no idea what it'll look like. Mm. It's definitely not going to be an hour, quote unquote, time, whatever that is. Yep. But I, I think it'll it'll just look very different. Even if it's to the point where like we under we start understanding how black holes work, and those are just almost not not teleport things, but like are just bridges, mm-hmm. uh, which I I think is gonna end up being true at some point, mm-hmm. which is exciting. That is that is fun. Yeah, th- but then like you wonder like okay, the math works, but then it is an entirely next step. Say, all right, we need to get a vessel containing a squishy human body through that thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is that's like, the let difference. alone getting information back through it. Yeah. Like, well, that's why when you were saying uh, maybe a sentient AI, in my head, it becomes more of I don't know that AI is going to go sentient in the way that we perceive mm-hmm. so much as we're going to combine our DNA with AI, and. It's going to still be human sentience. You don't think what would in be a the biomechanical uh, sort of thing? Hmm. What would be the benefit of the biomechanics? Do you think? Uh, like what you one like what you just said. What being able to pass through based off what we know. Uh, imagine if we can if we had enough science, our understanding of our science of like a black hole for whatever reason, and we were like, all right, you're not going to as a as a meat bag like Bender would say. You're not going to be able to pass through this. Mm. But if you were a mixture of like a biomechanic thing mm. that was, I don't know, 50-50, 70-30, whatever. Termina- Terminator rules. Terminator rules. Yeah. Uh, then uh, you can pass through this. Or at least you can compute whatever factors and algorithms are going at a speed of how fast they're changing mm-hmm. to be able to counteract whatever you're dealing with. Hmm. Because now you're, ta- you're talking about quantum uh, computing yeah. and having that built into the human brain because the human brain is not going to quantum compute mm-hmm. but now if it starts getting augmented hmm. you're going to be able to figure those things out and be able to process them it's kind of like how the flash moves yeah he moves so fast that everything is so slow around him yeah and his he thinks that much faster as his body moves as well mm-hmm. and so it's it's a whole big process not just Oh, he moves fast. No, no, he's thinking that fast. Also, he's still reacting to everything at a much higher speed. Yep. And with uh, if you have a built-in quantum computer sure. matched with the human brain, what I guess where I'm going is what's in this scenario the point of the human brain, like. Oh, I guess just like the, that's the it, last like piece it, of holy onto humanity. <laughs> that's exactly where I was going to go with that. Right? Is yeah, that, that's true. At that point, and we will if if this ever like even approaches reality, I think people yeah. will cling. Oh, viciously yeah. to their last shred of humanity. Yeah. But I think if we're really thinking about like we got, you know, for example, we got to get through that black hole, man. Right. I think the first thing that AI is going to do is be like, well, we don't need this. Shed the brain. <laughs> don't need this. There goes the brain, the heart, Wait, lungs. Why? Don't need any of these. Why do I shit once a day? And if I don't, I feel <laughs> terrible. Uh, don't need that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's. I like that idea actually, just because we always presume the AI is going to become sentient and kill us. But uh, I like the idea of it not doing that until the point where it realizes we've, like, we've definitely meshed in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And then one day the AI is like, why? Yep. <laughs> why do I need all these squishy parts? 
Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, but really, Andy Halder, I'm talking to you directly. <laughs> um, that's why I don't believe that guy right now who's uh, talking about we got alien bodies and I'll tell you in a closed room. Like He's like, oh, I'll, I'll do the government hearings. And then when you ask me where the bodies are, I'll be like, I'll tell you in private. And he fucking hasn't. Um, the reason I don't believe him is because let's say the reason I don't trust him, not that I don't believe him. The reason I I am slow to trust this gentleman, uh, is that why on earth, if you've solved the problems of interstellar travel and miracles of science, are you putting a squishy alien body in a tin can and flying it around in the air? You don't need to do that. Like, are you telling me there's something that that alien can do? that they couldn't engineer something to do better? Well, but that begs the argument of the same reason we use pilots in war. Yeah, and how far off of our planet have we gotten? Fair enough, but there's still... And we're doing everything we can to not use pilots in war. Yeah, we're definitely closer to just... Drone strikes are definitely more of a thing. Uh, It's really just that... We were were talking about quantum computing... Uh, the human brain still works faster than you can program a computer mm-hmm. for now. Mm-hmm. We're literally one good week from that not being true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, it's insane to think about. But I, I don't know. It Originally, I tied the AI to creating art and is the art devalued because it's quote-unquote artificially created. Right. And yeah. realistically, No. <laughs> Mm-hmm. depending on how you want to define art, right? I guess. Yeah, but... like, I guess, like, you can say, you can absolutely look at, let's say, uh, an oil painting yeah. and a really well-rendered, like, 3D computer-generated piece that somebody did by hand, right? Sure. Those are two vastly different mediums. Absolutely. The one who did the one almost certainly couldn't do the other because right. you got to spend forever training person, on yeah. them. Um, and you can talk... From both sides, probably pretty validly about the the benefits of each, mm-hmm. right? But do we say that one is art and one's not? Uh, I think that's that's going to be the step too far. And so I think where I come down right now is as long as you're having a, a realistic conversation about what people are doing and accomplishing with these new tools. Yeah. I see the, this AI shit as a tool right now, an extremely powerful. That's one, actually an important but... distinction because. The soul of art isn't changing. The tools we're using are changing. That and that's a big a, distinction. I buy that statement. Yeah, yeah, totally. I like it. Well, we solved that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But let's take it one step further. <laughs> even now, uh, what do you think about the idea then of something like, uh, like Bruce Willis just licensed his image mm-hmm. to be used uh, for future projects? Yeah, when he's gone, which will still generate revenue, which is, uh, I I haven't figured out how I feel about this idea yet, because uh, to me, people complain about comic book movies because they saturate the market. Yeah, they're still making amazing movies outside of comic book movies. Yeah, they're harder to find. They are, and you have to pay attention. You have to look for them. Mm -hmm. But those kind of movies were never in the forefront, anyways. Yeah. So when I hear old men complain about it, I'm like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. You're still going to make your money. Yeah. And 
I've always found indie films because I love indie films. Yeah. Like, and probably by volume, there are way more indie films now absolutely. than there ever were. I I agree with that too. And it, it's such but a it's so viable to, to do. Just nobody spoon feeds them to you. Exactly. Because... But to me, they never were spoon fed to you in the first place. Yeah, You're that's just true. mad that what you make isn't popular, and that goes it ebbs and flows. Like eventually, those will be over, and then it'll be something else for a while, and then they'll come back. Like whatever. But uh, it's the same idea then. If you can just license an image of an actor, why would you ever hire new actors? Or why would you ever need new actors? Eventually you'd hit a point where, well, we'll just have Bruce Willis star and everything. Mm-hmm. We control what he looks like. We control what he says. We control how he does everything. Like Now I don't even need a director. I just need a, a dickhead to program what I want this uh, image to say. Mm-hmm. Do you think that now we're getting into a little more murky water? That's a, a little murky. Um, with the Bruce Willis thing specifically, a part of me wants to say that if both parties enter the contract in good faith and understand what they're getting into, sure. then nobody should tell them that they can't. However, yeah. well, it's like that you, say, can't, yeah. you can't take that, uh, that argument. Uh, what's, what's the Latin? I'm going to say Latin on your podcast, Tim. Uh, <laughs> ad absurdum. Ooh. Yeah. Feels like to, to a nonsensical end. I think my IQ right? just went up. Yeah. So if we take that argument, right, like yeah. both parties, good faith, they know what they're getting into. Sure. That should be fine, right? In theory, yeah. But if you take that ad absurdum to, to insanity, then uh, you would say, okay, well, then that means two people can enter an agreement by which one is the other's slave. Right. But no, you fucking can't. Exactly. And, right. and, and I'm not saying that because... The law says you can't. I'm saying, no, you fucking can't right. do that. Yeah. Because somebody's going to get fucked. Right. That's a, right? Well, but now you've created a moral conundrum. Yeah. As and opposed so, to a legal one. So I wonder, does, does Dan Walsh feel the same way about Bruce Willis? Like, is somebody going to get fucked there? Is that inevitable? It, it's murky. It is murky. Like, it doesn't bother me when I watch whatever new Terminator film and they digitally put Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on an old Terminator. That doesn't yeah. bother me. Uh-huh. One day Arnold Schwarzenegger's gonna be gone, and they're still gonna do that. But to me, that's an homage to somebody that meant so much to this thing. Mm-hmm. It's like if they kept making Diehards, and they recast, they'd have to recast uh, the main character. Yeah. But like there was an homage of Bruce Willis somewhere in it. Yeah. That wouldn't bother me. If they just kept using Bruce Willis and mm-hmm. made Die Hards for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right. Die Hard 6 starring Bruce Willis. He's ghost. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. now it gets a little a, a little weird. Like, even when we watch, like, if you watch Rogue One, you can see Grand Moff Tarkin, and you can see Princess Leia, and they are just digital de-aged images. Mm-hmm. It's more like Grand Moff Tarkin, but it's Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing's going to Peter Cushing. Yeah. <laughs> But it's uh, it's jarring, yeah, and and it's odd. And I think that even in the Mandalorian, when they had Luke Skywalker come in, uh-huh. uh, hashtag spoilers. <laughs> and, and I don't know why you would. I love Mark Hamill; he is an absolute treasure mm-hmm. of a man. But I don't know why you wouldn't recast that because we know who the character is. It doesn't matter what they look like; we know. That character is the zeitgeist, not mm-hmm. Mark Hamill. I love Mark Hamill to death. Luke Skywalker is the zeitgeist, not yeah. Mark Hamill. Now, you talk about it being jarring, though, right? It being taken out of the, 
you know, the suspension of disbelief. Sure. Uh, that's a, a whole lot of what goes into making good media, I think, is yeah. can you get your uh, audience to invest for the duration, right? And not be taken out and remember that they're watching a movie. Yeah. Um, so I, I do wonder, like, in that Mandalorian scene, again, spoilers, um, <laughs> would, uh, would it have been equally as jarring if we saw the green lightsabers and the fighting style and who knows, maybe even like a little... Uh, a little bit of the theme in the background music and then he takes off his mask and it's some dude like and you're like who's that oh it's luke skywalker it's a different cat. am i pulled out of the movie in a similar way there too i suppose i don't know real, maybe i am realistically probably yeah. it's one of those 50 it's a close enough to a 50 50 thing where you can't make everybody happy yeah so those of us that can play can't about ever the... make me happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh the cgi is bad or they recast it but I think there's still a way to do it if you take Sebastian Stan mm-hmm. right now looks just like a young Luke Skywalker. Yeah, that's uh, Bucky, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if you would have done that with those tells, like, Luke Skywalker has a distinctive hand, mm-hmm. he has a distinctive lightsaber, yep. he has a distinctive uh, fighting style mm-hmm. and stance like that. Because of the younger, ver- like, I love old Luke, that doesn't bother me at all. But if you're going to have a younger version, like this, all, I first noticed this stuff in X Men, mm-hmm. where they de-aged uh, Patrick Stewart and uh, mm, yeah, what, what's Magneto's name? I forget. Uh, Sir Ian Gandalf. McKellen. <laughs> Gandalf. <laughs> Sir Ian McKellen. Uh, and and I, I'm almost wondering if it bothers me. Like, like was that fine? It was only for a scene. Mm-hmm. As they've done it with Samuel L. Jackson a bunch with Nick Fury. Like if it, if I'm gonna say it's okay for a scene, is it okay for a movie? Then it's okay for forever. Mm-hmm. Would I go back and want to recast Samuel L. Jackson as just a twenty like twenty year younger person, bringing a whole new actor? Would that fudge it up? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll tell you when it worked. Uh, Men in Black. Josh Brolin playing Tommy Lee Jones's character as a younger version. Right. Uh, gold. See, like that, like, it's almost like you're getting to really flex more acting chops mm-hmm. because you, here's already an already established thing and you just have to plug into that. Yeah. To me, it's, I would presume it's similar to, like, uh, instead of trying to just sing, it's trying to harmonize. And harmonizing is easy. You're just bending your voice up to match a pitch. Mm-hmm. Easier. <laughs> And I feel like that's what acting, if you're just copying something that's already existing, like, they wouldn't hire Tommy Lee Jones, probably because he's like, absolutely not. But maybe they did approach him, and they're like, we're just going to de-age you and do all this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. But But I'm glad they did it that way. Although I wonder if I'd feel the same way if, like, the first Men in Black had been in 1983, and it had been a young Tommy Lee Jones. Right. And then all of a sudden it's Josh Brolin. Yeah. I might be like you know, jarred out of the movie. I don't know. Now, this also begs the next question. If what I'm talking about was the practice already, as far as, all right, we have this younger actor, he's Samuel Jackson 20 years ago, and this other one is 40 years ago, and this is, you know, if that was already the practice of doing that, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. No, you're right. We'd be used to it. I mean, we were that, so used to it. We, we, we get it. used to everything. <laughs> we do. And that's the, that's such animals. It's so funny to, to me how much we complain. Yeah. And I love to complain and argue about stuff. Yeah. But realistically, if they did it for three years, 
we forget that it was ever any different. <laughs> it's true. Because it doesn't matter, really. No. Uh, and, and I'm all for more people getting work. Yeah. But it also has to be, like, going back to what you were saying about writing. It has to be done well. Yep. Like, you can, there's tons of actors. And some of them are good and some of them are less good. I'm inclined to think that if you're an actor, like, genuinely a part of the Actors Guild and have paid your dues and taken your time, mm-hmm. you know what you're doing. But it's the director's job to get that out of you. It's the writer's job to have a compelling story to tell. Yep. Like it all, it's symbiotic. Mm. It all has to work together to get the best performance out of everything. It's like well, you can watch a movie uh, and be like, "Oh, Tobey Maguire sucked in this, but he was incredible in this." Mm-hmm. Well, who is he working with? Who is he working off of? Who wrote what he's what he's saying? Yep. Like, and who's directing it and stuff? How's it shot? Yeah. And what was his passion level about the project? Yeah. It's so when you hear stuff, it's easy to kind of get behind. To me, it's easy to get behind the strike, mm. the writer, the writer and the actor strike particularly because uh, I think it's easy to look at the actor strike and be like these overpaid assholes, but and it's like, well, that's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. Like 90% of people that are in the Actors Guild make under 26 grand a year because it's not it's not just these huge movie stars. Yep. If you're looking at a population mm-hmm. and you take Hollywood actors as a population, the people, the 1% is who you're talking about, not the other 99 that are struggling trying to do anything. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and I think it hurts the industry at whole to hold off on this money knowing that the people in charge are still getting these bonus checks and this ridiculous extra money and stuff off of their hard work. And then people like us suffer because we live our lives by the TV and now we don't get to enjoy our stuff. Yeah. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. Give me my toys. Yeah, I love my toys. And I don't think anything annoys me more than to be like, oh, we just lost a year because they didn't want to pay these guys an extra 10%. Yeah, right. Like, really? Especially coming off of COVID where we just lost two years yep. and everything was shut down. Like, what are you doing? It's crazy to see the battle of, like, who thinks they're in control mm-hmm. and who's going to give in sooner. Like, you don't have anything without writers and actors, and you don't have anything without studios at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, look what happened with music. <laughs> That's really true, it's, yeah. We're not far off from being able to create your own content. And I've seen a lot of, like, not even independent stuff, but I mean, like, low, low budget, like, student film type stuff. That looks pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, we're getting closer and closer. To, like, is when you think, when I think about, like, the 50s, the 30s, back in the old days, when you signed a contract to a studio, where it was like, all right, you're signing with Paramount or whatever mm-hmm. to make six pictures. You don't know what they are, what they're going to be, yep. but you're the star now. Mm-hmm. And you can just get cookie-cutter movie after whatever. Yep. Whereas now, you get to sign on to projects that you care about, that you're interested in. You rarely, like, movie deals still exist, I'm sure, but oh, I feel yeah. like it's such a rarity, Probably, uh, especially in yeah. a bigger actor's life, obviously. I would think so. Like, yeah, I don't know for sure. But... Yeah, I don't know either, but it's it was definitely a the practice at one point. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's absurd to think about. Like, and what's that going to look like in 20 years for what we're talking about now, right? Right. I don't know. That's a lot to think about. Yep. Glad it's not my job. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. It, 
Yeah, I just uh, I'll stay in my little classroom talking to the eleven and twelve year olds. Yep. <laughs> and tell them why they're wrong about everything they like. Yep. And I'll just uh, I'll read bad takes on the internet and be like, I should respond to that, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> but, but I won't. Yep. Oh man. I do want to talk about comic books. Because mm-hmm. uh, you're still pretty new to reading comics. Uh, I don't know that I would say new, uh, but it's just, it's at such a low level, like it's so infrequent, you yeah. know? Well, I have bad news for you, you particularly, because I went and watched some of the Watchmen motion comic, because yeah. I remember you said you watched that, yeah. you never read it, Yeah. and I presumed it was word for word. Cause it why seemed it like be? it. It wasn't. Oh, no? I, f- I watched episode one and four, because episode four, or... Issue four is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, if anything needs to be precise, exactly as it was written by, from Alan Moore, it's episode four. And it wasn't at all. And I was like, oh, no. Like, you're not... Because the movie doesn't nail it like that either. Also, I noticed... I watched it on HBO not that long ago. If you haven't seen the director's cut of Watchmen... I don't think I have. Whatever the regular version is, fucking sucks. Okay. It's missing so much. Yeah, I didn't know that because I never saw it. Oh wait, does the, the director's cut has the uh, the the kids story, the black sail? Is that what it is? Uh, no, the alt. There's an ultimate cut that mm. has that. Okay, but no, I think I think as a movie you don't need that. I think it's a little. It's probably pulls too much in the comic book. It's awesome. Sure, because you can see that he's reading that comic and yeah, it's yeah. panel for panel, but uh, it's Tales of the Black Freighter. Oh, right. Is the thing. But no, there's a bunch of scenes that are just pulled out of the theatrical version uh, that are, to to me, critical. But again, all I ever saw was the director's cut. Uh, And I'm usually a sucker for that anyway. It's like, I want to know what the director was trying to to tell you. This goes back to what we were just talking about with, like, interference of story. Yep. A big one of those is studio interference. Yeah. And I only really feel that with Warner Brothers and DC films. Hmm. Uh, even before like the internet, I was paying attention and was like privy to that, where the interference happens. I've always felt like Warner Brothers, because DC makes comic books. Marvel makes comic books. Marvel's owned by Disney, but they put a comic book nerd, Kevin Feige, in hmm. charge, in the overall charge. They bring in different directors, they bring in different writers, but the guy keeping it cohesive as one big thing is a comic book nerd. Okay. As opposed to DC, DC license partnership has been with Warner Brothers for forever, since the 70s. Oh. So they've always had exclusive access to all DC films because all the characters are licensed right to Warner Brothers. All right. And they've always, I feel like, have interfered, especially if you watch a movie like the first Suicide Squad film, mm. makes no sense and there's like literally have you watched it there's scenes missing and like there's you're jumping scenes and it doesn't it's not even cohesive yep not even as a story as a shot film with sh- particular shots in order yeah. are missing Ugh. and it, they don't tell you what's happening and then they just presented it <laughs> huh and it, it's it's absurd and, and you you're the uh missing scenes exist and were right. axed yeah 
It's the same thing like Jared Leto came out even after that first one and was like, because they had upwards of 20 to 30 minutes of Joker scenes mm-hmm. that they filmed and there's only three minutes in the film. Yeah. Because he was like, I don't, I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at the, the Justice League film, mm-hmm. uh, it came out and people didn't like it. And then they released the Snyder Cut, which was a four-hour recut. And people are like, this is a whole new movie. Oh, okay. Like, this is actually really good. I haven't sat down and watched it yet. I like Zack Snyder in general, so I probably would enjoy it. All right. But it's it's crazy to think about that because that's to me that's the same thing we we're just talking about of taking somebody's art mm. and kind of, you know, cutting it away and chopping it down and then trying to present it uh, as something that still matters. Sure. So I guess realistically we've already been living with it. Any any studio that's released a film, yeah, has but final say there there is a difference though when like you don't give the audience a chance to interact with it versus true, when you yeah. do and then take it take yeah. it away, right? Yeah, and I'm sure it happens at Marvel also. It's just not like it doesn't feel they uh, don't do it to the level that it feels like a hack job. Yeah, which is crazy to think about because DC has amazing characters and amazing stories. Uh, and that was my original point, is that if you've only watched the motion comic, I need you to read, actually read okay. Watchmen. Well, I, I, I would, actually, because I, uh, I power read through a really dense novel that I just finished the other day, and yeah. there sits the next entry in the series, and I'm just <laughs> exhausted. And yeah. it's so dense. And you should it's... take a break then, because there's a couple of yeah. comics that I would really like you to read. So Breath of Fresh Air. Yeah. I just rewatched V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's such a bad movie. I lo- love it so much. The bad movie? Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but the book is incredible. Yeah? Yeah, and it's very, very different. Hmm. Uh, and I have that also that I think you should read. All right. Also, the new shirtless bear fighter came out. <laughs> okay, that's at the top then. <laughs> I think the last one was like eight issues, but it's finally mm-hmm. in, a, in a trade. Hell yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, which is a trade as a graphic novel. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about the uh, new season of season of uh, <laughs> uh, saga? Is yeah. that in a collection yet? That's funny. So at the comic book shop I go to, I go to Graham Crackers in DeKalb, and I love those guys. They're they're like genuinely like my friends, and I like them a lot. But I refer to graphic novels as seasons mm-hmm. and individual issues of comics as episodes. episodes yeah. <laughs> So I, uh, the new season of Saga is out. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, actually, almost uh, 10 is the last graphic novel. Okay. And 11's probably just about due out, because 10 came out a while ago. So yeah, there's probably a couple uh, things to read there. Excellent. Uh, I would highly recommend Paper Girls also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you'd mentioned that once or twice. That's that only seems like five really or interesting. six volumes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's what I need, because there, there are times when I can just just consume novels back to back to back. Yeah. If now I, when you say novels too, like these are like, is it, how big is that? Six, 800? That's a thousand. That's a thousand pages. Yeah. And that's uh 10 book series. And what number is that? The four. Ten? Four? Oh man. Yeah. I don't know how you keep it all in your brain. Like do you, cause you and Mike are insane about Lord of the Rings. Is it just cause you've read it so much or are you retaining? Like I, one of the reasons I don't like reading this that, like that. Is because I don't re- it, it, I don't retain a lot of information. I have to reread, and I'll pull little points here and there. And the more I reread, I can get a couple more points. Yeah, no, there are definitely points on reread that you pick up for sure. 
Um, you do, but you do reread things over. I and over do sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, but like, uh, shoot, what was I going to say? That's uh, every now and again, even after a single read, sometimes it's not a matter of like, at least in my brain, I might not be able to call it up at any time. Yeah. But if you give me this one little bing and we're talking about this and then bing, that lights up another little neuron. And I'm like, oh, remember this? Oh, and remember this? Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you this entire fucking story because it's in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's what happened with Game of Thrones originally, because I was late to the party by a few seasons, and I kept having you tell me about the books, mm-hmm. and I was like, ah, oh, sounds amazing. Mm. And then you and I sat and watched the first season, uh, which I ended up doing like three different times. Nice. I'm ready for, I want to rewatch it again, because uh, I want to watch the new show also, but I just mm. want to burn through the original, just just because. Sure. It just feels good. Mm-hmm. I'm always still hoping to one day meet a nice girl <laughs> that I can watch TV shows with. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, they don't like TV. <laughs> well, the ones that do. Women, yeah. right? <laughs> Am I right? The ones that do probably aren't. Yeah, women, uh... women be like this and men, they be like that. Yeah, sometimes they do be that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good place to stop the fact that. We'll never have girlfriends. Oh, you're going to let me stop on uh, yeah. sarcastic sexism? Well, <laughs> I want people to really get a good grasp of who you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When people think Dan Walsh, they don't think Dan falls down. I'm a, I'm a <laughs> moderately well-spoken, pseudo-intellectual piece of shit. It's been really nice sitting down with you. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. Love you, brother. Love you, too.